Hello and welcome to the Conversation of Money podcast. This is where we talk about money, investing and all things personal finance. I'm your host, Peter Kamalafe, and it is my mission to help you make the best financial decisions possible. Now, with living costs continuing to rise, Money Hub on a mission to engage and empower its customers to take control of their finances and improve their financial wellness. Money Hub provides a central space to see all your accounts and assets so you know exactly what's coming in and exactly what's going out. You can connect your current account credit cards, investments, pensions, savings, mortgages, and loans, all with ease, allowing you to have a clear view of all of your accounts within one platform. Once connected, Money Hub will help you learn to manage your money better with simple, actionable steps. You can analyze your spending, pay off your debt, see how your investments are performing, and also set yourself personal spending goals. If you're a homeowner, you can connect your property and see up-to-date property valuations. And if you rent, you can report your rent payments to Experian, giving your credit score a boost. Money Hub has been named in the FinTech Power 50 Trailblazer cohort and has the widest range of connections available in the UK. To get started, down Download the app today and take advantage of a free six-month trial with no automatic renewal, which means you get to choose whether you want to continue or not after trial. With Money Hub, small improvements lead to big achievements, whether it's paying off debt, boosting your savings, or monitoring your investment. Money Hub makes money management simple and convenient. You can download today on the Apple Store or Google Play. There is a link in the show notes. All right. Good morning, everybody. Welcome back to the podcast. I hope you're well. hope you had an amazing weekend as well. Um, so we, we're talking a lot about cost of living crisis at the moment. Last week, we had turned to us on um, and we spoke about some of the help that you can get access to that you're entitled to. Um, today, I want to talk a little bit about that, but I want to kind of get somebody else's views of how she's finding the cost of living crisis, also being a content creator um, on Instagram. By the way, it goes without saying you should go and check out her Instagram. Her Instagram is very entertaining. It's really, really cool. Um, and it's a pleasure to actually have her on. I've been trying to get her on for ages, but me being me being busy, uh, a little disorganized, it hasn't happened until now. So I'm really, really happy to uh, welcome on Francesca from The Money Fox. Welcome. Thank you. I'm happy to be here too. Awesome. So for, for people who are listening who may not have uh, come across you, would you mind giving a, a brief introduction to you and what you do, please? Okay, so I run Money Fox, as you said, on Instagram, and I've got a website. I will go more into it, but I started up as a way to mainly help women. Obviously, everyone's welcome, but to help women with budgeting and all those good things. Uh, so, yeah, I, I do coaching, and I have things that I sell, like spreadsheets and stuff like that, everything that... I think can think of to help everyone and I'm studying the financial advisor diploma at the moment as well. Nice very good and how are you finding the diploma at the minute? Good I would say it's not good if you wanted something to help you with like management in terms of like budgeting and stuff like that mm -hmm. I think that's a separate yeah. thing but I know yeah. so much about tax now. <laughs> <laughs> so much probably too much like my brain's exploding but yeah I do find it really interesting I probably nerd out and I do have like people ask me random things all the time like my hairdresser or ask something obviously I can't give advice I know that but um yeah I just feel like I have a bit more knowledge which is yeah. nice yeah the financial advice diploma is is a weird one because you would think it would cover a lot of the basic like money stuff but it doesn't actually do that it's it's a it's a financial planning um kind of uh diploma isn't it so it it talks a lot about 
you know, tax. It talks a lot about investments and pensions mm. and all those kind of things. It's a little advanced. Why did you want to take the the exam to start off with? Was it just for that little bit more knowledge or, or what was there anything particular that was driving you to take the exams? It's going to sound really petty if I say it. Um, so many people on like Instagram and TikTok are like, oh, well, are you a financial advisor? And I really mm-hmm. want to say, yeah, I am actually. Um, mm-hmm. That is literally like such a huge reason for it. But generally, I do want to have a qualification behind me. And like I said, it has been useful for tax and just understanding planning for retirement and stuff like that, even for myself. Yeah. Um, especially if you've got yeah. like high net worth and a lot of assets and stuff. But I do find it really interesting. Yeah. It's interesting you say you just wanted to have the qualification because I think, you know, the qualification definitely gives you um, a look behind the the finer detail of you know practically financial planning and all that kind of stuff and i think it i think more people should have the qualification personally because it does add that additional layer of uh of of knowledge and i guess a little bit of uh credibility as well to what you're doing so you started money fox how long ago oh a few years ago now i'm not actually sure the thing is when i first started it no one was really on instagram like doing that sort of thing so mm-hmm. I was very sporadic. So I think properly, probably last like, I don't know, two, three years or something. Okay. Okay. Yeah. yeah it's, it's amazing to see how Instagram and social media as a whole has exploded with financial content now. Um, yeah. And I'm sure, I mean, I, when did I start my Instagram? I started my Instagram. I started doing 60 second videos. I think it was in 2000 and I think it was 2019, back end of 2018 just testing the waters and stuff and i wasn't really sure whether social media was the right place to do it um but lo and behold here we are today right with with podcasts and all that kind of stuff going on and, and everything as well so it's amazing um really the power of social media and the amount of people that you can actually reach and interact with because again i think people are able to relate to different people and that's one of the great things you have different personalities and the one thing i love about your account is it's quite it's quite upbeat quirky and fun um, and that can be very, very difficult to achieve when you talk about money and investing oh, and all you. this kind of stuff. <laughs> yeah, no, I agree. I mean, I try and make it fun, but it's one of those things you're like, oh, I think this is fun myself. I don't know if anyone else does, but it's fun to like film things for sure. Yeah, definitely. One thing I think that comes across with you when I watch kind of like your reels or your stories and stuff is you're 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 quite genuine in terms of you can tell that that's you. Do you find that difficult? Or is that just kind of like your starting point anyway? What do you mean? Sorry. In terms of like, your your content comes across really authentic. Like you're not, it's not a facade that you're putting on. It's very, very authentic. And that you're just having fun with it. Do you you find it difficult to do? Because I know a lot of people are like, I can't number one, fathom the, the possibility of being on social media and then doing things where people might think, oh, you're an idiot, get out of it. I would say uh, when someone I know finds me, I cringe so hard and I'm like, who can you unfollow me? And they're like, why? And I'm like, I don't want you to see it. And they just don't understand. Yeah, I, I, I hate that. Um, uh-huh. Even like my neighbor, one of my neighbors that I don't like know messaged me the other day and he was like asking me those questions. And I was like, how do you know that? And he was like, oh, I've seen it on your money flock box stuff. I was like, okay. Nice. A bit, a bit strange. But um, nice. <laughs> Yeah, in terms of when I'm filming like reels and stuff like that, yeah, I do find it really fun. But 
it does take a lot of energy out of you. Like when you look at it, it's it's only a few seconds really, but it might not be the first take and you kind of got to get yourself in the right mood as well. Not that I'm not mm. always upbeat and stuff, but if you're doing like a funny, like a really funny, like dancey one or something, you're not just going to burst into like song and dance out of nowhere. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm also very, I have really low self-esteem with like my appearance See, and stuff. So I, if, I wouldn't, I wouldn't say that. I wouldn't say that that comes across at all. You come across good. really, really <laughs> confident. You come across really, really confident. So I'm surprised to hear that actually. No, I definitely have low self-esteem and that can kind of affect me in the way that I might have, I've been quite sporadic, I guess. I'm not someone that can churn out consistent content like that because I do have mm-hmm. those little, those little niggles and demons. Um, but yeah, I definitely, I enjoy it when I do it for sure. And then when people yeah. like it, that makes me really happy too. Yeah. And that's, you know, what? that's really refreshing to hear. Cause like, you know, even if I look at, I don't do as much Instagram as I should, um or i used to um but at the same time it's like i'm also i'm quite a pro- i'm an introvert i'm quite a private person and people are like mm. you're quite a private person but then you do videos and you do this and you do that and it's like it's the complete opposite of what i'm like at home or if uh-huh. i'm just in a general kind of like social setting i sit back i watch people i chill out i'm just i'm not the center of attention and it's it's amazing how it's the polar opposite of it. And I think everyone has their own kind of like little little journeys, little things, little quirks, I guess, that make them then. But like I said, you come across really, really natural. And I'm sure that, you know, everyone that follows you on there will will echo what I've just said there, that it does not come across at all. It really, really doesn't. That's very sweet. Thank you. But no, that the way I come across my Instagram is the way that I am. But I would say I'm an introvert as well, but I do like to be... I don't know, I guess I can be quite loud sometimes and I like to be around people, but then I need to retreat and be by mm. myself for a bit. So like yeah. if I, even if I film like a load of reels and stuff like, and then I'm like done, I'm like, I'm done, no more for a bit. Yeah. And I just have to chill out a bit. So yeah. yeah. Well, you're doing an amazing job. You really, really are and stuff. And, you know, I'd, I'd love to talk to you about your take on, you know, cost of living crisis at the moment. Cause you, like I said, you started, um, you know, talking about budgeting and money management, all that kind of stuff, helping women. The conversation about women in in the world of finances, investing is a really, really interesting one as well. And it's it's quite um it's it's quite a huge difference between certainly for me, the way I see men deal with financial content and women deal with financial content. And I find that a lot of women are more open, more likely to ask for help than men are. I think men kind of have like this, I guess, bravado and stuff. Mm. And if I look at my coaching business, probably 90, 93% of all of my coaching clients have all been women, all of them. Very, oh, very I'm rare that I get a guy. Yeah. And, and, and this is where my, my YouTube audience is predominantly male, but all of my coaching clients, pretty much all of them have all been women. And I, when I work with them, it's always really refreshing to see their take and the things they're looking for and, you know, why they want to get into having a coaching session and talking about money. It's, I'd love to hear your experience of it when you're working with people. So I haven't had any male coaching clients. Mine have all been women. What I find interesting that I noticed happened was I have a lot of single women Main, mm-hmm. mainly single women and I was talking to my partner about it and he was saying well yeah he said because a lot of the time 
if you are single, you might not have someone there to bounce these sort of ideas across. And sometimes someone just yeah, true. want they just want someone to talk to about it, really, and and just get their head their thoughts out of their head. Um, mm-hmm. So yeah, that's what I found really interesting. But a lot of women, yeah, I think I agree. They like to ask for help, and that like you said, they're very open, they're very honest. I thought a lot more people would be more reserved with what they tell me, but they just tell me everything literally everything which is great because then I can help uh, so yeah and I would say I actually have a lot of coaching clients that work in finance which also oh, surprised well, okay, me yeah because yeah. I think that's where a lot of shame can come from because when mm-hmm. people work in finance they think that they should know everything about finance but just because you work in finance or in a bank or something it doesn't mean you know how to manage your own money um, so that really took me by surprise and I also have a lot of clients who are very high income very very high income and that surprises a lot of people but I say to people you don't realize that when you are on a very low income a lot of the time you have your budget has to be to the penny like you are on it but if you're someone who doesn't have to worry about your bills and stuff like that you can go from month to month and spend a load of cash and not really worry about it so yeah I think Mm -hmm. those are the things that surprise me the most yeah that's i would definitely agree with you in the fact that when i have coaching clients the stuff that they tell me i'm i'm quite surprised and for me one thing that i've learned is that a lot of the time if you give people a safe environment to have a conversation about their finances their aspirations their goals they're more than willing to share with a would-be stranger so i'm kind of like a stranger to them they're kind of like a stranger to me they don't feel as though there's this expectation because they wouldn't tell their mom, their dad, their friend that because there might be some judgment there. Being mm. a being removed from the equation, I find lends to a more open conversation. When you start getting into the into the nitty gritty of actually helping setting up the finances and stuff, though that little detail so so important, and you can anchor them into something that's really kind of like tangible to facilitate change. That's what I've certainly found working with people. And I definitely agree. Yeah, it's amazing to how open people are. And long may that continue, really. I think, though, a lot of people that I'm just assuming, obviously, a lot of your coaching clients, I expect, feel like they know you, though, from watching you on YouTube or other social media and stuff. Because I have that, like, a lot of clients that I get say, oh, I've been following you for years. So, and then they take the leap. So they feel like, Mm -hmm. they, they do feel like they know you. But, yeah, I think... There's definitely a lack of judgment. And I've had a lot of people say that to me. They're like, you really don't judge me. And I'm like, why would I judge you? (laughs) I would never. Yeah. Yeah. And I think uh, the key thing that I found is because people are able to watch you and follow you, it's more trust than anything else. I mean, in person, I'm, I'm like you. In person, I'm the same person on camera. So there isn't kind of like a different version of me for video. So I find that sometimes people are kind of like, oh, you're, you're exactly the way you are on camera. And I guess that builds trust, doesn't it? You're not meeting somebody that you thought is going to be a certain way who acts a certain way on camera, but when you meet them, it's a completely different vibe. And it's one thing to be able to provide an environment where people feel safe and want to open up to you and have conversations. But I always find that, you know, being as open as possible and within the way you interact with them, say hello and how you word things and position things, that really gives them the confidence to to open up and, and talk about what their what their L's are. 
Yeah, definitely. I feel like I went off on a tangent. Sorry, you were asking about, about the cost of living crisis. <laughs> That's okay. I like I like tangents on the podcast. It's all good. What you I'm find at the moment. Them. The... <laughs> <laughs> so for everyone listening, we might go on another tangent shortly, and it, it will, we will be fine. But at the end of the day, this is all about you know giving you something, some tangible kind of like insights and things that will hopefully help you. But what are you finding at the moment with the cost of living crisis? Obviously, energy bills are are going nuts. Um, I'm finding that a lot of people are outraged and a little pissed off that, you know, BP are reporting record um, quarterly with um, profits. Uh, Shell did so exactly, uh, did so last week as well, $11 billion. Same thing with British Gas. Are you finding mixed reactions amongst people trying to deal with this conundrum? I think for the majority of people, they are just really worried about it because of how much it's going to go up in, is it October? And then I think it's going mm-hmm. up again in January. Is that right? Yeah, um, yeah. And a lot of people are saying that they actually don't know what they're going to do. And um, it just makes me so sad. <laughs> Even just you saying all the record profits that I was like, oh, it makes me so sad because it is really rubbish. And I do think the government need to do something. But yeah, everyone that I've spoken to is just really, really worried about it. Yeah. Oh, nice. It's, it's a weird one. I posted today and I asked the question on stories. I said, you know, because off the back of BP, and obviously I talk a lot about investing as well. So there's a duality to this reality of, okay, so these companies are posting record profits in, in a mist, people being squeezed. So the duality for me is I talk about investing. I've spoken about the fact that in recessionary periods like this, those are the companies that go and have. But when you realize the size of the profits, and mm. fair enough, a lot of it isn't coming from, you know, um, the actual sale of the gas. It's mainly most of them are because they're able to refine crude oil. And that's where the profits are coming from. I still struggle. My investor's hat is great. This is great because it's <laughs> they're increasing the share value. But the other side is kind of like, I'm really pissed off, if I'm completely honest. I'm pissed off and I'm outraged. And when I read comments on social media, on YouTube specifically, like, you know, uh, there's got to be winners and losers. I'm like, well... I used to be one of those losers. And so I find it really, really hard to balance the duality of, the, of, the, of, the, of it because, yeah, as an investor, it's great. But as a person speaking to people who are struggling, I can't justify it. And I, I really, really struggle with it. Yeah, I'm the same. I think the pandemic alone showed us like how much of the gap there was between the wealthy and pretty much everyone else. Um, you know, they did so well off the pandemic, so many people, and while everyone was struggling, and oh yeah, I will never be okay with people struggling while other people do okay. I mean, I guess it is partly the way of the world, but I think with things like energy bills at the moment, there's definitely things that can be done. And with all the record profits, it's not like they can justify the increase of what we're buying. Yeah. I mean, this is the question here is, you know, what will the government actually do? And will they actually do anything at all? Um, I, I honestly don't have the answers to it. I mean, a couple of things that I've been just saying to people to do is obviously we talk about budgeting, obviously, making sure that you've got that nailed down is 100% necessary right now and having a really good good control over that. Um, and if, if, if required, 
you know, thinking about other ways in which you can get income into your household to kind of subsidize the extra bits that you're having to pay out. But, the, you know, the latter is not an easy, it's not an overnight win. It's very, very difficult to do. Are you finding that there are certain things that you, you're saying that are working with people that are resonating with people? I think it's a tough one because I don't think you can necessarily budget your way out of poverty, but I do think mm-hmm. that you need to, everyone needs to take a look at their finances and see if there are things that they can improve on. Because if, if you know, you're wasting a load of money in one area that you don't need to, obviously that's something that can be changed. But I think everyone is really focusing from what I've seen on budgeting and earning extra money. So one of my colleagues at my office job is looking for um, an evening job as well. So she wants to leave work and then go straight to an evening job um, because she just hasn't got the money at the moment. And I think what a lot of people forget is that a lot of people have debt. And then Mm -hmm. obviously the debt can just pile up and pile up and pile up as well. So if you're trying to you know save money for your bills you've got less for your debt and then it's just you know the endless debt cycle as well but yeah everyone is focusing on on budgeting and and earning extra but my worry is that it will it won't be soon enough that people maybe leave it too late because i can see it people i don't want people to wait until it happens i'd rather everyone started now i know it's easier said than done but i'm also worried Mm -hmm. about you know christmas um because I always say that a lot of people will just spend what they want at Christmas and not in a bad way, but everyone, you know, if they want to buy presents for their kids, they're going to buy presents for their kids. And that's absolutely fine. But it's just about planning that in advance. I'd rather everyone start planning now, please. (laughs) Yeah. So you're talking about being proactive rather than reactive, really? Yes, definitely. And I think although we'd love the government to do something about it now, as of now, they're not. So I think we have to prepare for the worst, really. Prepare for the worst and hope for the best. Yeah. So for, for your colleague who has to go and, you know, is looking for another job to go to, how is mm-hmm. she balanced? How is that person actually balancing that in, in their mind? Because taking on another job, it's, it's another sap of energy after you spent the majority of your day in one place going to another one. So it's the energy, it's the time. And mm-hmm. God forbid you have family. Obviously, it's taken away family time as well. I mean, how how has that person kind of, you know, dealt with it from a mindset, mentality kind of like point of view? Do you know? Yeah, she said that she's just going to have to get on and do it. But she has said that she wants to keep weekends free of everything. Mm-hmm. And I said to her, though, well, something I always say to everyone, that everything's temporary. So it's not like she has yeah. to do every day and night for the rest of her life. You know, it could just be a temporary thing to help her get some extra money in and then pay down her debt or save for, towards energy bills and stuff. So, yeah, I always say everything's temporary. Don't worry. Yeah. But I guess we'll have to see. But, I mean, I, I'm i a bit of a nightmare for – I work all day and all night as well at the moment. <laughs> and I'm, both, I'm a bit tired. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But used, I'm know. used to that. <laughs> yeah. It is a bit of a – it's a really, really tricky one. Um it really, really is. I mean, I can't remember the last time I had two jobs. And I, I don't know. It's one of those it's one of those weird situations where I had two jobs many, many years ago. And obviously I'm full time self-employed doing this now. So I often find that I do way more hours than if I had a nine to five period. I'm probably doing this for 13, 14 hours a day anyway. But it's I don't know, it, it's it's different because I'm working on my own thing and it's something that I enjoy doing. And I think that's 
I'm, I'm fully aware it's a luxury to be able to be in a position like that um, for people. And you talk about developing, you know, side hustles, additional income streams as something that I think people have learned and realized is a necessity after COVID. This kind of further ingrains that as a being a thing. But you need runway to really be able to build something that you can potentially transition to full time uh, moving forward. And, you know, I someone asked me the other week, you know, what, what should I do? And I'm like, well, there are lots of things you could do. The question is, what do you want to do? I don't know what your thoughts are on that in terms of additional income streams. I kind of have an opposite, an opposite view to what I actually see a lot of people talk about online because a lot of people I see turn their noses up at things like, um, I mean, I don't know how you feel about this either, but like doing like surveys online or like mystery shops and stuff like that. I see a lot of negativity from finance creators about it, but that's how I started. And the reason I suggest this to people is because saying to someone, oh, go start, um, you know, a business is really hard for a lot of people and your mind might not be in it. You might yeah. have never done it before. And it's, it's such a big step that a lot of people might not want to take that step. Whereas like mm -hmm. when I first started doing my side hustles, I was in such a bad place mentally, such a bad place. And I had a little uh, my my daughter was you know like two I think she was and I couldn't dedicate the time to a, a full-on venture I just needed something mm -hmm. that was going to help me get some extra money in even if it was a little bit and I wanted something really really flexible so I started doing you know the surveys for mystery shops and stuff but what I say always is that that sparked something in me and it gave me the motivation and it made me realize oh I can make extra money online um, so yeah, I say to people, you don't, you don't have to go all in on something straight away. You can kind of test the waters with the making money online sort of thing. Um, yeah. so yeah, I think I agree with what you say that everyone is different and you just got to figure yeah. out what works for you. I think with the surveys, I think the reason why there's a lot of negativity around it and I'm like, listen, if it's going to pay you money and you can kind of plan or at least know what you need to do to get X amount of money then it should be something you should have on the on the list of things to do. But I think one of the reasons why there's a lot of negativity, and there's a lot of negativity around this because there's always seems to be something sexier, shinier that you can do that's going to generate more money, like Amazon FBA. I mean, the amount of people that talk about this stuff, it's like, it is high. And the thing that drives me nuts, I don't know whether you agree with this, right? Everyone who will talk about this will talk about, oh, it's easy. I'm making this much money. And it's like, well, how long is it taking you to, to earn that amount of money? Like, it's an undertaking of its own. But it's yeah. dressed up in this sexy, yeah, I'm making a thousand pounds a month. And it's like, well, how long did it take you? How long is it did it take you to identify the right products and set everything up? A lot of the stuff isn't discussed or shown because, well, social media is supposed to be a highlight reel, isn't it? Yeah, no, I, I think the same. And you're right with the Amazon FBA, for sure. And I think a lot of people see the numbers and they think, oh, I want that too. And why wouldn't you want that? But I think mm -hmm. everyone just has to be realistic. And there's nothing wrong with doing it, but just do your research and maybe try and find the other end of the spectrum where people maybe started it and didn't do so well. And, you know, speak to them and see what they think. Don't just listen yeah. to the people promoting their course. <laughs> Yeah. So for, for things like, um, you know, doing surveys and stuff, I'm interested to know when you when you started to do that, because I think sometimes people think, well, how much money can you actually earn if you're doing things like surveys and stuff? 
what's your experience of that in terms of being able to pull in additional uh, pots of money, bits of money on a monthly basis by doing things like, you know, secret shoppers and the surveys and, and things? You can't make a load of money, I'm not going to lie. <laughs> but for me, when I started, I started with mystery shopping and I literally had no money. And I mean, zero. So the prospect of going and getting like a free meal was massive to me. Mm -hmm. I had so many free meals and it was great. <laughs> um, <laughs> so many, because even if I had some money, I would never have bought myself. I would never have gone to a restaurant and got something or I wouldn't have gone to like a big chain and got something. Mm -hmm. So I had so many nice little treats, but yeah, you can't make a load of money, but it just depends where you're at on your journey, I guess. And some people find it really fun, like pretending to be like a little mystery shopper. Yeah. It is, it is fun. I find it fun. Um, surveys, there are different survey sites. There's this one called prolific and thus I would say the, I think it's the best one. I don't know if you've heard of it. It's basically, it, yeah. Oh, Okay. If, any, if anyone doesn't know, it's basically where generally like university students, for example, are looking for people to participate in their study. So it's just things like that. And I think they're pretty decently paid. Obviously, it depends from survey to survey because it's the researchers that set it up. But I see, quite, I see my, people making like a decent little bit of extra money on there. But it's not, it's not going to change the world, but it, it's a good start in place, I think. And you can do it yeah. when you're in bed, when you know, you're feeding your kids or something, or you're in the bath, you know? <laughs> yeah, yeah. I think the important thing that, that you mentioned, though, is even if you're doing kind of like a mystery shopper, there's a money equivalent to that. So if you're doing those and you know you've got X amount coming up, and it is for a restaurant, for example, that's a free meal that you haven't got to spend money on. So there's there's that money equivalent to it. And I think in times like now, where energy prices are where they are, and it's projected to get even worse, and we, you mentioned that we're heading into the winter months. That's my biggest fear personally for people. My biggest yeah. fear is we're in the summer months right now. And luckily, we've had some relatively good weather. You can afford to not use as much gas. But as we enter into October, when the next price cap rise is going to come along, then you start getting into back end of, of October, November, then you're getting into the colder months. And then you're probably not going to be able to limit the amount of gas that you're using because you're going to need to heat the house, particularly if you have a family and particularly if you have kids. And it goes a little bit back to being proactive. So thinking ahead now around all of this stuff, can you do mystery shops? Can you do survey stuff to kind of, even if it is small amounts of money or small monetary equivalents, being organized to know, right, okay, so that mystery shop was X amount. Is there a way that you can substitute some way from your food shop to put that money aside to start to build yourself a little bit of a cushion? But it's proactivity is going to be very, very important. Forward thinking is going to be very, very important, I think. Yeah, and I don't know if you know this, but I've actually studied psychology before. And um, we think of our future self as a different person. And a lot mm -hmm. of people don't know that. Our brain can't think of ourself in the future as the person we are now. We literally think of them as someone else, our future self. Mm -hmm. So it's really hard for people to plan for the future because we don't care about that future person. <laughs> we don't care at the moment about the person that's going to be struggling in the winter. We care about the person that is in now, in the summer, and is having loads of fun. Um, and that's, yeah, that's my worry, just to try and think, okay, what is future me going to appreciate me doing now for them? So you can look back and say, I'm so glad I put that bit of money aside. I'm so glad that I started doing that 
extra little earner and it's built up for me. And I think this is actually really good. Um, do you use sinking funds? As in emergency funds, you mean? Yeah, so like, well, sinking funds mm -hmm. where you plan for something in advance and save a little bit each month towards it. So like mm -hmm. Christmas, so people can look, okay, I've got this many months left till Christmas. This is how much I want to spend. This is how much I want to put aside per month. That will help so much, especially with even, you know, if figuring out, I think my electric bill and gas bill is going to go up to this. Let me make sure I have this little pot ready by the time it hits. I just think things like that make you feel so much more at peace for what's about to come rather than just panicking. 100%. 100%. 100%. I think this is funny you mentioned psychology because a lot of this has to do with psychology. And I think you're 100% right. A lot of people do not recognize their future selves. It's one of the reasons why people can't look far ahead into the future to think about retirement because it's like, eh, I don't know who that person's going to be. I don't know what I'm going to be like. I'll deal with it when I get there. Where in fact, in the context of pensions and forward planning for retirement, now is the most important time because of your earning potential and the time that you have in your favor to get in future you to be in the best position possible. I think that's 100% right with what you're saying there. On the psychological side, I'm, I'm a firm believer, right, that your mindset, so your psychology informs your habits, and then your habits are manifested in your day-to-day -day kind of like activities and stuff. And using a sinking fund is a really important thing because whilst we're talking about pre-planning and being proactive, it's actively trying to train your brain to say, right, I know I've got this coming up in two months time. And even if it is kind of like your car insurance, for example, right? I know I've got this coming up in two or three months time. I'm going to start putting money away now in preparation for that so that I'm, going to, I'm, going to, I'm not going to be as pressed possibly when it comes to my finances when I get to that juncture. I won't have to utilize debt or things like that, credit cards, those kind of things. But it's interesting you mentioned psychology because I'm fascinated with the, with the psychology of money and the way people think about and approach money from a mindset, psychological point of view. Me too. So yeah, I did it at uni and I can apply so much of it to money because like you say, pretty, like I think a lot of people don't realize that all of our money habits are led by our brain, like our emotions. Yep. We're doing things because of a certain way that we think. So like you were saying about training your brain, if you start to train your brain by doing little habits every day, like it can make such a big change and I always say to people, you've just got to make things part of your routine. So when I'm saying helping people set up their budgets, for example, I always say, like, you might have the best will in the world to track your spending, for example. But it's one of those things that you just kind of put off and put off. But if you do it at a certain time every day, like when you're about to go to bed, like keep a notebook by your side or something or do it when you're having your, your tea or something, then that's just like a little trigger to yourself. Like, oh, I need to do that. And then you just do it over and over again. And you won't even realize it's become part of your habits so yeah, i love yeah. that kind of thing <laughs> yeah 100 it, it's it's mad really and um yeah the psychology side to it is so interesting because you know you think about i did a talk maybe three or four weeks ago and i said the way i opened the talk was you know do you remember your first memory of money and a lot of people can't answer that question directly without really really thinking about it mm. and i shared what my first memory that is associated with money was 
and it was me being fostered uh, when I was younger. And my next door neighbor, Glenn Mills, when he had dinner, it was like Gordon Ramsay was in that kitchen. It smelled <laughs> awesome, right? <laughs> Every single day, the kitchen was just like a Michelin star kind of like experience with the fragrances, the smells that were coming out of that. And unbeknownst to me, I was five, right? When I started mm -hmm. to notice this, <laughs> unbeknownst to me, I remember thinking, well, why, why doesn't our kitchen smell like that? And then we're eating beans on toast and all that kind of stuff. And unbeknownst to me, it reinforced the fact that actually we don't have money. We don't, we can't afford those kind of dinners. And they say our financial habits are locked in at age seven. So for me at five, I've clocked that. It's not necessarily a direct connection to money, but it's a realization of, oh, they have better dinners because they can afford better food. There's that connection later on in life when it comes to money. It basically gave me this mindset of, of, um, of shortage, right? Yeah. We don't have a lot. So what happens is when I'm an adult, I'm working in Canary Wharf and I'm making really good money. You hoarded I it. I still, exactly. Well, yeah. I didn't hoard it. Oh. Because I didn't have anything, what I would do is I'll get the money. I'd go spend it on all the things that I always wanted ah. in opposed to thinking, actually, maybe I need to make understand how I'm going to make this money go a little bit further, so on and so forth. And you talk about culture and how, you're, how you grow up and the things that you digest in, in TV and music. Everything was screaming at me when I was growing up. Like, when you make money, you need to go spend it on this and that. And it's so the psychology is so fascinating. It really, really is. And I, I can say that now, being 42 years old as an adult, being able to connect the dots. But I challenge people to really think about what that first memory of money is and then try and chronicle moments in your life where you've, where you've made decisions that would have been based on things that you can identify and the habits that you have currently when it comes to the money, your money and how you think about money. It's quite, it's quite a big undertaking, but if you're able to, it's very, very revealing. You've got me thinking now what my first memory of money is. Hmm. It's really, really hard. It's really, really hard. Like it took yeah. me years and years and years of asking that question to identify, pinpoint what it was exactly. But it's, yeah. it's difficult to do. That's interesting. I think I grew up quite comfortable, I would say, but I was a very sweet child. So if my mum said, you can't have that, I'd be like, okay, that's fine. And I didn't mind. Um, and I, but I, I never thought, I don't know, it's weird. I always thought if I really, really wanted something that they would probably try and make it happen. But I never wanted mm -hmm. anything because I was kind of happy with what I had. But yeah. what I find interesting is that my brother, I would say, is the opposite. Okay, interesting. Yeah, so he's terrible with money. I know people say not to say stuff like that, but he is terrible with money. He really is. <laughs> I tried so hard, so hard with him. Um, yeah, he definitely, he spends all of his money all the time. So, yeah, I do find it interesting that we are, we are so different when it comes to money. Yeah, it is really, really fascinating. Um, my partner, um, she's really good with money, but her brother is, oh my God, terrible, terrible, terrible. And you can't <laughs> say anything to him. And she's like, I don't understand. We both had the same upbringing. We both had the same experience. How can he be so polar opposite to, our, to the way I see the world? And I keep saying to her, it's because of his own personal experiences. Along the way, somewhere, we pick up these little things 
that mm. dictate to us and our brain says, right, this is what I'm going to do. And when I was really, really bad with money, spending like stupid money on suits and trainers and stuff, <laughs> I had to reflect for a period of time. And I noticed it was because I was around certain people or I was, I felt a certain way. And I started to document and identify who those people were, how I used to feel that used to trigger me going out and just retail therapy, make myself feel good. And I would almost every single time have buyer's remorse immediately, mm. which tells you that you, you made a really shit decision. But, but I bet you didn't want to return any of it, did you? No, because pride then kicked in as a guy, <laughs> yeah. right? So it's like, I'm not taking these back. I'm, I'm just going to have them sat in my, in my closet and I'm not going to wear them. It's, it's so, so fascinating. And I think if you're listening to this, please try and ask yourself those questions because I think what you'll find and what you'll unearth, and you may not be able to do it in one sitting, I think it will be very, very interesting things that you'll learn about yourself when it comes to you know, how you... Uh, how your habits are formed and what you do when it comes to money and how you approach money. It's, it's, it's very, very interesting. Yeah, I actually do a, a lot of that with my coaching clients. So I do a lot of um, encouraging them to track their spending. And I say, it's not just the tracking that we want to look at. I say, I want you to make like little notes and write down why you did it and never to be in a guilt trippy kind of way. Like, I can't believe I did that, mm -hmm. but just be like, really think about what prompted me, what triggered me, like you say, to make go and make that action because I always say that will still happen again. So, you know, if you had a bad day and then you went and did something, you're probably going to have another bad day in your life. Unfortunately, <laughs> like it's just going to happen. Yeah, yeah. And, or, you know, if someone made you feel bad, you're probably still going to speak to that person again and they're going to make you feel bad. And even if um, it might be, you might have had a really good day and you want to treat yourself. And it's just, just like writing down what was it that triggered me and then identifying that and, just remembering that you will always be triggered, but it's about changing the action you take when you're yeah. triggered. And that can take a while, yeah. but um, it works so well. I have a lot of my yeah. coaching clients always are very successful with that. Yeah, it's interesting, really, because in the end, for me, I identified that it was being around a certain group of mates. And it's not like I cut them out. I didn't. But it was like, OK, I'm going out with this group of mates. Mm. So the bank cards and the credit cards are not coming with me. I'm taking out X amount of money. And when that money's gone, that's it. Or if I went to a certain place, I was like, okay, if I'm, if I know that I'm going to go to this place or I'm going to be in the vicinity of this place, I would then put certain controls and checks in place to make sure that I didn't find myself in a position where, you know, I'm running off, I guess, living adrenaline up. and autopilot. <laughs> yeah. Living it up without really thinking things through. And it's little, little things like that. And people may think, you know, you need to have a di diploma or you need to be financially savvy to be able to identify what those interventions will be. No, you'll come up with them pretty naturally on your own because it's, you'll know what to do it because you know yourself and you're starting to learn about yourself. You'll also find what will work for you specifically in certain uh, circumstances as well. Yeah. So what did your friends, did your friends notice? Yeah. Yeah. Um, well, can Let's you talk put it about this way. on the podcast? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, look, it was stupid things like, you know, when I was in London in Canary Wharf, like we were doing, we were all doing quite, quite well. And um, it would be stupid things like we're just spontaneously, because we would, although it was a nine to five job, it really wasn't a nine to five job. We're in Canary Wharf, we're on level 50. So it's like, you know, 
some of us will end up in the office at six, seven o'clock and be like, oh, boys, you fancy a drink? And like, yeah, okay, where can we go? We'll go to Duck and Waffle, for example, for a bottle of wine and end up having 10 bottles of wine. It's little things like that. It's like spontaneity. And it's if we are planning something, plan it properly. Don't do things off the women. That, for me, worked. I used to tell them and say, look, boys, not today. Oh, I used to make myself a little bit scarce. And because I knew it was around certain people, if it was a larger group, okay, with maybe three corporates not in that group, I knew that I was going to be fine. But the, the four of us together, it was a really, really bad cocktail, like for disaster. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> Essentially because it was all about, you know, boys' egos, all that kind of stuff, and mm. trying one up. And, yeah, so it's, <laughs> it's trying to put those kind of controls um, in place. And, yeah, they noticed, but... I just said, listen, I, I need to be a little bit more, I need to be a bit smarter. Um, what we're doing is crazy. I can't carry on doing this. And the difference that really kind of shines through is, you know, you think about someone like Dave, for example, well, his parents are quite wealthy. Like his bank balance is not the same as mine. So <laughs> I don't know whether you watch Kevin Hart, but like my bank account was not built like that. So I can't do the things that he was doing, but I was trying to either way is that keeping up with the joneses all that kind of stuff and you have to you have to be able to identify those kind of things yeah definitely yeah i was gonna say that but um but what i was gonna say actually was for people who do want to be spontaneous there's nothing wrong with being spontaneous but you can kind of plan being spontaneous <laughs> mm -hmm. so you can have like a pot of money for like your guilt-free spending and just be like if i want to be spontaneous i can just take from my guilt-free spending pot and then you don't feel bad about it because if yeah. you are putting all these things into place it can cause a lot of guilt when you go to spend because you're being so restricted yeah. with yourself but never a yeah. good idea to be too restrictive yeah 100 and that's one of the things that i go through with with, with, with clients and coaching be like okay look what are the things that you like to do let's 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 get those out in the open and let's put some monetary amount towards it on a monthly basis you can do it knowing that you've you've budgeted and you've accounted for it the biggest thing here, I always say to people, is balance. You've got to get the balance right. If you get the balance right, you're okay. Um, but as long as you're, you know, for as long as you're in the situation where your finances are lopsided, something has to give somewhere, and it's not sustainable. So balance is really, really important. Yeah, and I would say that everyone's so different as well because most people want to have the same spending and stuff. But I always say, like, I play hockey, for example. Now, you're not going to have hockey in your budget because you don't play hockey, <laughs> I assume. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, and you might want to do something that I would never ever do. And yeah, definitely, definitely like you say, it's all about balance, trying to figure out what works for your life, but what kind of things do you find fun? But fun things don't have to be that expensive either. I actually really like going very, for a walk true. with my boyfriend. Like going for mm -hmm. a walk around the block with my boyfriend is honestly one of my best things to do. I love it so much. Yeah. yeah. It doesn't always have to cost money. That's the that's the real, real lesson here at the end of the day so for people who have been listening who want to find out a little bit more about you how do they find you what what uh, are your communication methods so you can always find me on instagram just always on it i actually turned my notifications off recently and that was the best idea i've ever had but i'm always contactable on there so it's the dot money fox and then my website is themoneyfox.com so if you want to contact me it's definitely best to reach me on instagram i'm pretty responsive on there awesome Francesco, it's been a pleasure. Thank you so much for spending this time with me. And uh, Thank to, you. Look, so I've been trying to get you on, wanting to get you on for ages. 
and it's great that I've finally been able to. to I had no idea. It. Just ask me. I'm free. Well, I wasn't that free yeah. this week, but I'm free. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I know. It's one of those things where you know you just kind of get busy with a load of stuff going on. I'm like, okay, I need to get I need to get this person on. It's like something else pops up, and you get on doing something else, and I always have to circle back to it. But I'm glad that we've done it now. Maybe we try and get you back on as well in the near future. Yes. Uh, maybe talk about something else. Yes, definitely. Cool. All right, guys. So we have gone on a little bit of a tangent, but I hope you picked up something. Um, I'm sure that you did. Um, but again, I mean, the psychology thing is really, really key. Um, it's probably the one thing that has been the biggest transformational power or thing that has anchored me through my financial journey. I used to be really bad with money. My credit score used to be shit. I used to owe banks a lot of money. I struggled with debt all the way through my 20s, halfway through my 30s. The, the switch flipped for me through a series of things. And a lot of it is based in mindset and psychology. So, you know, the questions to ask, we've asked them in this in this episode. Ask yourself those questions, see where you come up. And if trust me, if you do have a revelation, I would love to hear from you. Message me on Instagram. But again, thank you to Francesca. I hope you have an amazing week. Remember, money's a tool, life is for living. I will catch you next Monday. Thank you for listening to today's podcast. If you enjoyed the episode, be sure to check out other episodes and share with the people closest to you. New to investing? Check out Peter's course for first-time investors designed to give you the foundation you need. If you prefer one-on-one coaching, book a complimentary discovery with the man himself. All links in the show notes.